My name is Austin Tomasit, and I'm an industrial distribution major at Texas A&M, class of 2020, and I have struggled with depression and anxiety throughout my life. I was just distant from everything, not only God, but also just from the people at school, from my family, and people at church. I just felt like these things were causing me pain in some way, and I just wanted to retract from all that. So for three years, I didn't talk to anybody, and it wasn't until um, when I went to college I decided to seek counseling. And then with it being so prolonged, I slowly, gradually started coming to the conclusion that I may be struggling with depression. At the height of all these feelings and a lot of anxiety as well, I was went to the counseling office in the morning, and then every single counselor was gone that morning. And really, I was, felt like God abandoned me at that moment. That lowest day, I went up to a parking garage at my apartment, and then I imagined it's like, at this point, what what is stopping me from I guess hurting myself? All this pain right now is just so excruciating, why am I here? Out of the blue, I just get a message from a Bible study leader I just met at Grace Bible Church a few days prior, and he was just saying like, hey, I'm going about to go up to this parking garage in about an hour um, just to chill and hang out, and then realized that that was, he was coming to the same parking garage that I was at at the very moment. That is just too much of a coincidence. And so when I got that text, I realized that through this random text message with the absolute best timing that God was there for me at that very moment. And I realized the power of uh, individuals in a Christ-driven community. With a Christ-centered and driven community, I realized that I was able to have uh, multiple people support me. Sometimes God uses pain to be able to teach us, and that's something that took me a very long time to be able to figure out and accept, but I realized that God has a plan for us, and it is always for our benefit. For me, what gets me up in the morning is that I want to be able to uh, share truth with people and that want to show them how different life is with Christ in dealing with things like mental health. This is just a very normal problem that even very strong believers also go through. That shame or guilt is just something that holds us back from being able to live the life that God wants for us. You may be wondering, why would you show a video on depression right here before Christmas? Well, it is... Sadly ironic, but for those who are struggling with depression or anxiety, this season of the year, which seems like it should be so full of happiness and joy and festivity, can often be the worst and the hardest. Because here in this holiday season, this is when for a lot of us struggling with mental health, life will feel the most disappointing. Because we have expectations of of what the holiday should be, how joyful it should be, and, and our struggle with mental health when the holiday falls short, it can cause a crisis. It can really be intense. And so that's why I asked Austin to share his story with you today. We wanted you to understand, if, if you're out there and you're struggling with loneliness and or anxiety or addiction or depression, you are not alone. Austin and I both have been diagnosed with clinical depression. 
And I've shared my story with you a couple years ago, but I'm an adult. I I wanted Austin to share his story as a college student so that you kind of get it from a different perspective. Part of the reason that we wanted to share our stories with you guys is so that you would know there, there is no shame and there is no guilt in things like depression. Struggling with something like anxiety, that there's no reason to feel embarrassed of that. That's just a normal part of life for a great number of us. Feeling guilty for struggling with depression would be like feeling guilty for having cancer. It's it's a medical issue. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no reason for embarrassment. But Satan is going to try to make you feel like it's something you should keep hidden. Like it's something you should be ashamed of. He wants to, to make you feel ashamed of it so that you won't talk to other people about it. But you'll never get better until you're willing to talk about it. That's the first step of healing. You've got to be willing to be transparent with one another. And that's, that's what Austin and I have both found. By telling our stories, by reaching out for help, we have both gotten markedly better. And we want that for you all. Any of you who are struggling... Whether it's anxiety, depression, addiction, loneliness, if you're struggling, please talk to someone. Please get help. We're a church family that's here to support you. This church has been such a help to both Austin and I. It will be a help to you. You'll find great love and encouragement here at Grace Bible Church. There's also amazing doctors and counselors in this town who are ready to help you in your own battle. So please don't let another holiday go by where you're trying to hide your mental health battle. Instead, be open about it. God is here to help. We're here to help you guys. So I want to open our time praying for all of you who are struggling this holiday season with depression, loneliness, or anxiety. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that that you understand our minds and our bodies and our emotions perfectly. They're so complex, God. We, there's so much that's a mystery to us, and yet you are our creator, and so you understand exactly what is happening in each and every one of us. We thank you for that. We thank you that you are a perfect father, a perfect Creator, We thank you that you have provided us this church family to, to love and support us. We thank you that you have provided us your spirit to be with us and in us. We thank you that you have provided us wonderful doctors and counselors who can encourage us and help us and teach us. I pray, God, for anyone here in this room who is struggling with their mental health and who has been trying to hide it. I pray, help them, God, to be willing to talk about it. I pray, God, that you would take away the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment. I pray that you would bind Satan who tries to make them feel ashamed so that they will hide it. I pray that you would drive him away. I pray that you would help them to be willing to get the help that you have provided here. I pray, God, for all of us this holiday season that that we would walk with you in openness, in truth, in gratitude, in joy. I pray, God, help us. To remember that you are a father who deeply, deeply loves us. We pray, Lord, as we enter into your word and as we look at the instruction that you have for us this morning, please, through your spirit, open our eyes to see, soften our hearts to be convicted. We pray that your spirit would transform us and help us to walk more faithfully with you this coming holiday than we ever have before. We thank you so much, God, that you love us, that you are kind to us, and that you've given us your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
If you guys will turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Today we are going to wrap up our fall series on Exodus through Deuteronomy, basically the Pentateuch minus Genesis. We're going to wrap it up by talking about something very, very practical. I'm, I'm assuming that at some point in this life you have come to realize that small choices made every day can add up to monumental results. If, if you make a small choice each and every day, you keep doing it, it can have outsized consequences over the course of your life. Let me give you an easy example to conceptualize. Let's say that you like having a Coca-Cola at every lunch. So every time you sit down to lunch, you're going to have a Coca-Cola. That's just your thing. You enjoy it. Um, so let's, let's think about that. What is that? add up to if, if you were to have a Coca-Cola every day at lunch. Well, it's, it's about a dollar if you buy it from a machine for 12-ounce can. We're not talking about the huge ones, 12-ounce, and that's about 144 calories. So if you have that every day, well, that's adding up to about 30 bucks a month or 4,300 calories a month. And over the course of a year, so a whole year of having a 12-ounce Coke every day, $365, which isn't nothing, that's good money, and 52,000 calories. Now, that 52,000 calories number, that's really hard to wrap our minds around because it just sounds made up. What does that even mean? So let me put it to you in something that is easy to conceptualize. Let's say that you want to burn 52,000 calories. Okay, so you're going to go out and work off 52,000 calories. That would require running for 4.3 days straight. Like without a break, no sleep, no eating, no using the restroom, 4.3 days straight. So basically the half marathon this morning was just your warm up. You got to keep going or 5.7 days riding your bike or 10.5 days straight walking. So that's a lot. That adds up to a lot. So let's say that you decide upon graduating from college at 22 years old that it's time to set aside the Coke at lunch every day. For whatever reason, whether money or calories, whatever reason you say, I'm going to stop having a Coca-Cola at lunch each day. And so you go without that. What does that add up to over the course of your life? Like, let's say you do that from graduating college at 22 all the way until you retire at 65. So you're taking about 30 bucks per month from graduation until retirement. You're just putting it in the stock market. So just straight up in the stock market. What will that add up to over those years? Well, around $210,000. That is a lot of Coca-Cola. Like you can buy a house with that kind of money. One small choice made each and every day adds up to monumental results over the course of your life. That principle, that truth, is what's behind our passage this morning. That basic idea that small choices made daily have monumental results in life, either for good or bad, depending on whether the choice is a good choice or a bad choice. So that is the reality that's the foundation of our passage we're going to study this morning. So we're going to read Deuteronomy 8, and we're going to go and read the whole thing, because that's how it was meant to be read. So this whole chapter together. So if you'll look with me, this is Moses speaking to the Israelites. He's telling them God's words toward the end of their 40 years in the wilderness. So this is Moses speaking. He says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. 
He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus, you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity and which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper." When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his ordinances, statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of a rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. So the big idea of this passage is repeated many times in the, in the twin words, remember or do not forget. Okay, all over and over again, multiple times they are told, remember God's goodness, do not forget God's goodness. That is the the big idea. And so from this point forward, Israel faced a choice each and every day. Would they choose today to actively remember God's goodness in their lives or would they choose to forget it? Now, Now, let's clarify for a moment. We're not talking about literal memory loss here. We're not talking about like when you forget someone's name Like those neurons just aren't firing correctly anymore. That's not what's going on here. This generation had actually seen God do the ten plagues. This generation had seen him part the Red Sea with their own eyes. Like you don't ever forget that. The image of the sea parted, that's kind of like burned on their retinas. So they're not in danger of literally forgetting about God or the good that God had done. That's not what this is about. What this is about is what you choose to dwell on each and every day. What do you choose to think about? What do you choose to meditate on? To remember God's goodness means that each day you choose actively to remind yourself of how good God has been to you. 
You meditate on the goodness of God in your life. You dwell on it. You fix your mind on how good God has been to you. You give thanks for all he's done for you. That's what it means to remember. The opposite, to forget, that means to take God's goodness for granted. You don't dwell on it. You don't meditate on all the good things God has done. You don't remind yourself of those things and give thanks for those things. You just take them for granted. You don't really think about them. You don't mess with them. That's what it means to forget. And so this idea, God is challenging them to actively, day in and day out, choose to remember, choose to dwell on, choose to meditate on God's goodness and give thanks. That's the big idea of this passage. That's actually one of the big ideas of the whole Bible. We're we're just reading Deuteronomy 8, but I had lots of chapters of the Bible I could have used this morning because this is a really common theme. God talks often to his people about how important it is to remember his goodness in the past. And that begs the question, why? Why does God seem to care so much about his people remembering his goodness? Why is memory so important to him? Well, quite simply, because remembering God's goodness motivates our obedience. Remembering God's goodness to us and our families in the past motivates obedience in the present. You can actually see that in Deuteronomy 8. You may have noticed this really close connection throughout Deuteronomy 8 between remembering God's goodness and obeying God's commands. The the first drives the second. By remembering God's goodness, it drives, inspires, motivates us to obey. That's a common idea. It's just how God created the human mind, how he created the human soul. By giving thanks to God, by remembering all the good things God has done for us in the past, it inspires the human heart to obey God, to follow God. You see that frequently. Let me give you one example from the life of David in Psalm chapter 63. David says, when I remember you, he's speaking of God, on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. So David is actually practicing exactly what we're talking about this morning. His daily habit, every time he goes to sleep at night, he lays down on his bed, is to actively remember God's goodness, to meditate on it, to dwell on it. Now what's interesting, Psalm 63, if you place this in the chronology of David's life, he wrote this when he was hiding in caves in the wilderness of Judah and King Saul was hunting him. So this was a super stressful time in David's life. Really stressful. King Saul and his whole army are trying to kill David in this moment. And yet what's remarkable in this moment is it was a time of some of David's greatest obedience to God. David is remarkably faithful at this time in his life. We're actually told this really famous story. I don't know if you remember it, but David is hiding out in a cave with his soldiers. And who walks into the cave to go to the bathroom? King Saul alone. He has no protection. He walks into this pitch dark cave to go to the bathroom and he he does it right next to David. David could have just done that and it's over. The hunt is over. Now David gets to be king. So easily he could have disobeyed God, taken his life into his own hands and gotten everything he ever wanted. And yet he chooses not to. He chooses to obey. How? How did David so faithfully obey God in a stressful situation that would have made most of us give up on God? Well, it's because he practiced this every night. 
David was able to obey because each and every night he paused to give thanks to God. To remember and reflect on how good God is. When we practice this this habit of remembering God's goodness in the past, it inspires obedience in the present. I've seen that so often in my own life. I'll give you an example. I'm a guy, so like all guys, we struggle with lust. That temptation is going to hit us at some point in time. And so men, how do you resist the temptation to lust? Well, in my life, in my experience, I have found that my greatest weapon against lust is gratitude. Might sound funny. Might sound weird, but it's true. When the temptation of lust sets in, I can find victory if I will stop and just close my eyes for a moment and list off five things I'm grateful for. Just spend a moment, just list off five things. Thankful for what God has done in my life. How he gave me Jesus who died for all of my sins so that I could have eternal life as a free gift. And I I thank him for how he's given me his Holy Spirit to give me power over this temptation. I thank him for my wife who's such a blessing to me. And I thank him for the life that he's giving me and all the things I'm able to do in this life. And I just stop for a moment and give thanks. And all of a sudden through that habit of giving thanks, temptation is lessened and obedience is inspired. That's how God designed the human soul to work. When temptation sets in, pause and give thanks. By remembering God's goodness in the past, we find strength to obey God in the present. So why does God care so much about this discipline of remembering? Because remembering God's goodness in the past motivates our obedience in the present. But the flip side is true as well. Forgetting God's goodness in the past leads us to sin. It always does. If we choose not to actively remember God's goodness, we don't think about it. We don't dwell on it. We don't meditate on it. Over time, we're just going to take it for granted. We're going to think nothing of God and how good he's been. And the more that we take God's goodness for granted, the more reasonable sin will seem to us. The the allure of sin will grow. So by forgetting, we are led towards sin. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, throughout Israel's Example. So back to Psalms 106. They, that is Israel, made a calf in Oreb and worshipped a molten image. We've talked about this. This is like one of the most famous sins in the whole Old Testament. It's the nation of Israel. They've been out of Egypt for only like six months. And they make a golden calf and worship it as God. Why? Well, they thus exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt. The reason they commit this crazy, horrible sin of idolatry is because they forgot God. And again, we're not talking about literal forgetfulness. This is six months after they walked through the ocean. Now, they actually could see God when this sin happened. God and Moses are up on Mount Sinai. They've been chilling there for 40 days. The people are down at the base of the mountain. So it's not that they have literally had memory loss that God exists. No, they can see him, but they choose to worship an idol instead. Why? Well, if you look at the historical account, when it says that they forgot him, what it means is that they began to take for granted all the good God had done, and they fixated on all the things he hadn't given them. They began to fixate on the meat and the vegetables they used to have back in Egypt. They began to fixate on how pretty the landscape is back in Egypt. They begin to think about all the things they had back then, and that becomes the center of their vision. And, and when the center of their vision is on all the things they don't have, then it seems very reasonable to go worship an idol that you think will get you what you want. Forgetfulness of God's goodness leads to sin. It makes sin feel reasonable. It makes sin feel excusable because they chose to forget 
This is sadly not the only time that Israel did that. They did it throughout the Old Testament. If you've read the Old Testament, you've seen that they forgot a lot. Right after what we're studying this fall, this era of the Pentateuch, they enter a a period of the Bible we call the Judges. It's about 400 years. It's quite a long time, and it's super dark. It's really, really ugly. Why? Because there's this cycle that Israel goes through over and over again. Pretty much every generation, it starts with forgetting. They forget the goodness of God. They take God for granted. They don't dwell on all the wonderful things God has done for them. They just focus on what they don't have. And that leads to, the, to an excuse to commit idolatry. They begin to worship other gods because maybe those other gods will give us the stuff that we want. And that idolatry leads to judgment. And the judgment's so painful that finally they repent and God sends a deliverer and does something miraculous and supernaturally restores the people who immediately forget. Over and over and over again, forgetting God, taking him for granted, not actively thinking about all the good he's done, it leads to destruction. So that kind of begs the question, if, if forgetting God's goodness in the past leads to destruction, then why do we so often forget? Like, why do we so often forget God's goodness in our lives if we know that's going to lead us towards sin and pain and suffering? Well, the answer is really quite simple. Why are we so prone to forget, to take for granted God's goodness in the past? Well, because that's human nature. That's human nature in this fallen world. Since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, it is our natural bent to forget the good God's done in the past and focus on what we wish we had. How do I know that that's our natural bent? Well, anytime you want to know, like, what is the natural bent of the human heart, just look at kids. So, as a parent, raise some kids. I'll tell you, I did not have to teach my kids to pay attention to what they don't have in life. They do that naturally. Naturally, they, they, they look at, they fixate on the things that they wish that they had that they didn't. They focus on the, the things that their friends have that they do not. That comes naturally to them. I don't have to train them in that. What do I have to train them to do? To give thanks for what they already have. That's not natural. That has to be trained in them to pay attention to all the good that's come into their lives. That shows us. That, that's a natural bit of our human hearts to, to forget, to take for granted all the good God's already done and focus instead on all the good we don't have. So, we look at how the human heart works. We, we try to, to illustrate this. And the best illustration that I've ever seen uh, for, for helping us grasp, what does my heart do by nature? Let me just hold this up and ask you, what do you see? What am I holding up? Most people are going to say a big black dot right there. That's and, and that would be right. I, that is there. And then if I ask, well, what else am I holding up? If you're like most people, the answer will be, well, nothing. There's just a, that's all that's there, just a, a big, big black dot. And, and of course, that's wrong, right? Because what am I holding up? A big old sheet of paper. And, and the black dot, which is much smaller, couldn't even exist without this paper to exist upon. But the way, and scientists have proven this, the way that the human mind and eyes work is we're drawn to the dark stuff. We tend to fixate on the dark stuff and miss all this bright stuff around it. That's exactly how your heart works. The natural bent of the human heart is to fixate on the dark stuff in life, the disappointments, 
the struggles, the pain, the suffering. We fixate on the dark stuff when we miss all the good stuff, all the amazing things that God has done for us, all of his blessings in our lives. And, and I look at just my own life and I see that so often. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but if I just do what comes naturally to me, like if I just do what Blake does by nature, I'm going to totally take for granted and forget all the good God has done. And I'm going to fixate on all the things I wish I had. All the things that I wish were different about my life. That's just the natural bent of my heart. And so what I tend to do, if my coworker buys a nice, beautiful, big home, I tend to fixate on their home, which doesn't belong to me, and forget about my own wonderful home that God has given to me. Or my neighbor buys an awesome new SUV. I'm not really into SUVs, but a lot of people are. And it's really pretty. And, and we fixate on what he got, what she got, and we forget, hey, I've got a working car in the driveway. How lucky am I? So few people have that. Or, or we fixate on your friend's spouse, how beautiful she is, how handsome he is. And we forget how wonderful the gift of our own spouse is. Or we fixate on how well-behaved our brother's kids are. I mean, they're always getting good grades and they're so quick to obey. And man, I wish I had kids. And we forget. We have the gift of our own kids who have wonderful things about them. That is a natural bent of the human heart to fixate on what we don't have and forget all the good that God has already done for us. There's a name for that. It's called coveting. It is the final of the Ten Commandments, and I would argue the hardest of them all. Thou shalt not covet all thy neighbor's stuff. Paul, actually, the great apostle Paul, said of all the Ten Commandments, that was by far the hardest for him. The first nine commandments, he had those locked up, good to go. But the tenth, it tripped him up. Why? Because he was his own traitor. Everywhere he walked, his heart was always wanting things that didn't belong to him, wanting a different life, wanting something to be better. Paul's point is a natural bent of my heart is to covet. It's to want what I don't have. It's to take for granted what I do have. It's to forget all the wonderful things God has done for me. That's why this is so, so hard. God is commanding you to remember each and every day all the good he has done and give thanks for that. That is incredibly easy to say and incredibly hard to do because the natural bent of the human heart is to focus on what you don't have rather than what you do. So now let's get very practical. This is hard, so how do we do it? How do we get better at remembering all of God's goodness in our lives and giving thanks for that? Well, ultimately, if you want to get really good at remembering all the good that God has done, you got to make it a habit. That's the only hope you have. You got to make it a habit in your life. A habit is something you have done so much for so long that has become a natural part of you. It is just part of your routine. It is what you always do. God wanted the Jews in the Old Testament to, to set up habits in their lives that would feed remembering, that would feed gratitude. And so I don't know if you've ever walked into a, a Jewish person's home. If they're an observant Jew, meaning they're not only a Jew ethnically, but they're practicing the Jewish religion, you will actually see something on their door. So, or the door post, you'll see a little box called a mezuzah. 
they put that little box, it's kind of a decorative box, it has Old Testament scripture in it. It's actually part of the Old Testament. And the idea is, let me put something on my doorpost that I see every single time I go in or out of my house to remind me of God's words to me, of God's goodness to me, that God is there. So just a a, a way to build a habit. That's exactly what God wants us to do in our lives, is things that build a habit of remembering, a habit of giving thanks. So let me give you some practical ideas. And there's many more that we could cover. I'll just give you a few practical ideas. How do you make it a habit? Well, you build it into your prayer life. That's my first practical idea for you. Let me give you a verse that we've, we've read and we've studied many times before, but it's, it's worth studying again. Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, if you look carefully at that verse, the habit of remembering the goodness of God is actually in that verse. Do you see it? It's a really little prepositional phrase, simply with thanksgiving. Paul's saying every single time you pray, include thanksgiving. You're remembering God's goodness and giving thanks for it. So when I was in college 20 plus years ago, I was taught to pray through an acronym called ACTS, A-C-T-S. I don't know if you guys have heard that. It was just a mnemonic device to help me to grow in kind of the richness of my prayers. And so A, adoration, that's words of worship for God. You're talking about how great God is. C, for confession. You're admitting to God the sins that you've, that you've committed in your life. Uh, T, for thanksgiving. You're thanking God for good stuff he's done. S, just a supplication, just a fancy word for asking God for stuff for you and other people. So That's a a little cumbersome. I don't do that every time. But what has stuck with me out of ACTS for all these 20 plus years is the T. It's the idea of I have to say thanks to God for what he's already done before I get to ask him for, for new stuff, for more stuff. And so that's become such a habit in my life that nowadays I actually feel guilty if I catch myself asking God for something and haven't first thanked him for what he's already given me. That's great. I want to always feel that. That's just been something that's become such a part of my prayer. I don't get to ask God for anything else before I first thank him for something he's already given me. And so if I find myself asking God to do something for me or for someone else and then suddenly realize, wait a minute, I didn't give thanks. I'll just pause. Okay, wait a minute. What's something that I can thank God for right in this moment? Because that comes first. Say thank you to God and then get back to asking him for stuff. That He wants you to ask him for stuff. But he wants you to embed remembering and thanking him into your prayer life so you do it every time. So for you, it might be acts. Walking through in your prayers, those four letters. Whatever helps you build that habit. For other people, I'm not really a journaler, but some people I know really are. They're really into journaling as they pray. And uh, one of the things that I've seen that, that I really like, I love when people will do this, is they'll take like their prayer journal And they'll dedicate like maybe the first few pages of it to just a list of things they're thankful for. And then the rest of it, they're like into their prayers and writing them out. And so the idea is every time they sit down to journal a prayer, what they're asking God to do in their life, first they have to turn to page one and add another three things to the list. What a great practice. They're just building this habit. I don't open the prayer journal before I first turn to page one and say thank you for something. And then I can script out the rest of my prayer. So do something that in your prayer life embeds this habit of remembering God's goodness and giving thanks. Second practical idea for you. Make remembering a habit in your thought life. 
So Paul says to us in Ephesians 5, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. He is challenging us for this to become a normal part of our life, that we're always giving thanks to God. Now, always giving thanks. The challenge is, you know, sometimes I got to sleep. Sometimes I got to talk to my kids about homework or go to a meeting. Am I sinning when I'm sleeping and not giving thanks? No. Paul's not saying every second of every day of your entire life. What always means in this passage is don't let a day go by that you don't remember God's goodness. That's it. Don't let there ever be a day of your life on this earth that at some point in that day, you don't stop and give thanks to God for the good he's done for you. Now, I don't know your daily routine, So where it fits into your day may be unique. For David, we read King David's account. Where was it in his day? It was at the end of the day. He lays down on his bed, and that is when he reflects on the goodness of God and gives thanks. That's not going to work for some of us, because some of us, the head hits the pillow, we're done. That's the end of the day. So for some of us, it's going to be first thing in the day. The the sun rises, you're a morning person, you grab your cup of coffee, whatever it is. The first thing you do is reflect on the goodness of God and give thanks. For other people, it's going to be in other activities. So for me, it's actually not morning or night because I'm not really myself at either of those times. My best is when I'm moving. And so we we have a dog and this dog needs to be walked. And that's worked out real conveniently for me because when I walk the dog, I can't do other stuff. And so while I'm walking the dog around my neighborhood, I don't have a phone out. I'm not talking to somebody. I, I can think about the good that God has done. That's actually become, for me, probably my single best time in my rhythm to give thanks to God and reflect on the good he's done. For my wife, she's really an athlete. And so for her, it's running. That really, that's, that's what kind of leaves all the distractions behind, and she can focus. For other people, it's when they're driving. They're sitting in traffic. What are they going to do? This is a good time to thank God for what's going on in my life, or between meetings, you're walking down. Whatever it is, got to find the place in your life where you can pause and remember God's goodness and give thanks. The problem is your devices are conspiring against you. We live in a digital age, and the aim of the digital age is to fill all space. And so every device you own, that is its design intent, to fill all the space you will give it. And it's very good at that. And so if you're going to practice this discipline of making remembering a habit in your thought life, you must be willing to pull out the earbuds and put the phone on silent and set it down. Not all the time, but at some points. You have to say no to that digital distraction or you are never going to succeed at remembering God's goodness. So phones, TVs, computers, they're not bad things, but you got to set limits. You must set them down so that you can fill some of your headspace with meditation on the goodness of God. Wherever that fits into your routine, it'll be different for each of us. Find the place where it fits for you and make it a daily habit. Okay, so don't let a single day of your life on this earth pass in which you did not reflect on the goodness of God and give thanks. Right? That's my second idea for you. Third idea, making this a habit in your life is you've got to embed remembering into your family life. So if you're in Deuteronomy 8, just go back one page. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6 for a moment. Let's talk about the job of Jewish parents. 
So Jewish husbands and uh, uh, wives, Jewish dads and moms, um, their job is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do the testimonies and statutes and judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in to give us the land which, we had, which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. Do you notice what, what are Hebrew parents required to do in their homes is to teach their kids about the goodness of God in the past. That, that was a Jewish parent's first and foremost responsibility. So if you were a Jewish parent, it was okay with God if you handed, for example, education and math to someone else. Totally okay for someone else to teach your kid math. But you were the one responsible to teach your kid the history of what God had done. Both the goodness of God revealed in scripture and revealed in the testimony of your own family. Like you were to rehearse to your children all the ways in which God had showed up in your own family to provide and deliver you. So Jewish parents were required to be the primary instructors of God's faithfulness for their children. And then a second responsibility of Jewish parents, they were to teach their children how to remember God's goodness in the past through all of those Jewish holidays. The Jews have a lot of holidays. If you didn't know that, it's pretty cool. You should check it out. They're kind of complex. All these Jewish holidays, what are they about? Remembering. Every single one of them. The entire point of the Jewish holiday or celebratory calendar was to teach children to remember the goodness of God. Now, what about today? For us, modern parents, what are our responsibilities? Same too. Parents, our foremost responsibility in life is to teach our children about the goodness of God. No one else can do that for us. It is not the job of the Sunday school leaders. It is not the job of the youth leaders. It is not the job of a school. Even if you send your kids to a Christian school, it's not that school's job. It is your job. It is my job to be the primary teachers in the life of our children about the goodness of God, both as it's revealed in Scripture and as it has played out in our own lives. We are required to tell the stories often to our kids of how God has been good. That's our first responsibility. Second responsibility, it's our responsibility as parents to use holidays as tools by which we teach our children to remember. Now, that is why we're doing this sermon today. Because what is today? It's Advent. We're in the period between Thanksgiving and Christmas. We're in this season. It lasts about a month. From the Thanksgiving holiday to the Christmas holiday, this is our tool as parents to teach our children how to be thankful. That's ultimately what this whole holiday is about. Thanksgiving, Advent, Christmas, it's all about remembering the goodness of God, the love of God, all that he's done for us. The problem is our culture conspires against us. Our culture fills this holiday season with busyness and consumerism to drown out our ability to give thanks. Now, parents, we can't change culture. Culture is what it is. But we as Christians can be intentional rebels, and that's what I'm calling you to be. 
an intentional rebel against the busyness and consumerism that you are told is a normal, natural part of the holiday season. No, it is not. It is not God's design. God has one goal for you parents this holiday season. Just one. Really simple. Here it is. Your goal. So this is, if you want to know, what is a successful Christmas look like for my family? One word. Remember. That's it. God's goal, your measure of success this holiday, is that you grabbed your kids and together you remembered the goodness of God. So let's kind of break this down. What that means is you are not a better Christian if you send Christmas cards. You are not a better Christian if the bottom of your Christmas tree is full of presents. You are not a better, Christmas, a better Christian if you have a Christmas tree rather than not having it. When you stand before Jesus one day and he evaluates your life, he won't care at all how your house looked this Christmas. What he will care about is whether you and your kids remembered what he did. So I I want you to hear permission. It's not from me. You don't belong. Permission from God's word. Permission from God himself to say no to any part of this holiday season that is getting in the way of remembering and reflecting on the goodness of God. Whatever it is, whatever pressures, whatever stresses you feel that you have to keep up with this person, you have to to create this perfect holiday experience for your kids. No, I give you permission. Lay all that down. God doesn't care at all about that. What he cares about is that you and your kids remember. 30 years from now, if you reflect back on this Christmas, all that will matter is if you remembered the goodness of God. So I want to close by praying especially for all the parents in the room, that we would do well this holiday of remembering. I also want to pray and give thanks. We've talked a lot about remembering. Remember what? Well, in praying, I want us to think for a moment about what exactly we're remembering this Christmas. So if you'll join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you and we remember. We remember that you have been incredibly good to us. We remember that of all the amazing good things that you have done, you created the universe, you created life, you created us, you gave us a home. You've done so many good things for us. But the greatest thing of all is that you sent your son Jesus just about 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, you decided to, to take on human flesh. You didn't have to do that. You decided to live among us in this world that's full of stress and pain and suffering. You chose to do that and you did it for us. You, Jesus, came to live a perfect life for us. We praise you for that. We thank you. You lived the obedient life that we fall so short of. And then after living this perfectly obedient life, you chose to die for us on the cross As payment for our sins. We thank you for that Jesus. You took all of our sins. All of the evil we have done. Are doing. Will do. You took it all upon yourself. And you died in our place. To pay the complete penalty for that. And then after dying. You rose victorious. You conquered death. And sin. And Satan. Once and for all. And you did it for us. We thank you for that Jesus. And we thank you heavenly father. That based on the life and death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, you have now offered freely to every one of us the absolutely free gift of eternal life. You give us forgiveness of our sins for free. You don't make us work for it. We don't have to come to church for that. 
We don't have to give money for that. You give it to us for free. You give us heaven and eternal life and a a relationship with you forever in your family and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You give it to us all for free. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are the greatest gift giver ever. Lord, we lift up to you anyone in this room, anyone here today, who hasn't yet received that absolutely free gift, please open their eyes to see it. Please, God, soften their hearts so that they would say yes to your free gift of eternal life. Help them to receive that today. For all of us who have received that, God, we say to you, thank you. We say to you that we are blessed. We say to you that we are rich in your goodness We say to you that the good you have done infinitely outweighs the things that we want in life. You are so good to us, Father. We praise you and we thank you for that. We pray for your help to remember it this holiday. God, we lift up in particular all the parents in the room that are feeling pressure to to live up to some external standard, some, some expectation of what Christmas needs to be in terms of presents and decorations and cards and gifts and all of these things. We lift them up to you, Lord, and we pray that you would release them from that pressure, from that stress. That you would help them to to fix their eyes on Jesus and to recognize that ultimately the only thing that matters of them this holiday is that they would simply remember. That they would simply help their children remember how good you are. I pray that we would succeed at that. That for all of us as we go into this Christmas season, that this year that we would hit pause, and that we would remember how good you are to us. Please, Lord, help us to make a habit out of remembering your goodness. We thank you so much for giving us so much good to remember. All this we lift up to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week. Students, we'll see you in January. Have a safe and wonderful holiday.